0: This message was given at Des Moines Campus Fellowship's Summer Leadership Training back in 2020. The theme that year was Designed, where they studied the creation, fall, and redemption of God's beautiful design. We hope you find this encouraging. If you have a Bible, you can take it out. We're going to look at work and rest today. And I was personally challenged in uh, getting into this topic because I really wanted to spend my entire day of rest working on this. And so was, I felt conflicted uh, about, about that to some degree. Um, but we're going to read uh, just a part of Genesis chapter 2 and just kind of use that as a launching pad and explore the theme of work and rest throughout the entire scripture and how, how we should think about it now. Um, so in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now want don't you join me in prayer? Uh, God, God, I want to give you uh, this time um, together. Help me to speak clearly, God. God, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help our hearts to be soft towards your word. Yeah, God, I pray that uh, we would have tremendous charity in this area towards one another, where there's many convictions. Um, But God, I I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, God, help our own hearts to diagnose uh, ways that we uh, misapply this area and how how we should look to the cross as a result. So in your name we pray, amen. All right. Um, I want to tell you guys a story of the poorest rich kids in the world of all time, actually. <laughs> their names are Patterson and Georgia Inman, and I think we have a picture of them. Um, but to tell you the story of Georgia and Patterson Inman, I have to tell you the story about their father. Their father's name is Walker Inman. And actually, to tell you his story, I have to tell you the story of, I think, I think it's his aunt. Uh, his aunt's name is Doris Duke, So we got to start back with Doris Duke, okay? So Doris Duke inherits $100 million from her father. And she used that that money, and she starts—she's a tobacco tycoon. You know, she amasses a lot of wealth with that that starting initial capital from her father— The thing, though, is that she was raised by nannies. She uh, was very distant from her parents. Her parents took little part in her actual upbringing and raising her. Um, And so she grows up in that kind of environment. And, And she is dead set on success, Doris Duke, okay? Now, Walker Inman. Walker Inman so, and Doris Duke is kind of like her aunt. Uh, Walker Inman, uh, his father dies when he's two. His mother dies when he's six. And she, he is put under the legal care of Doris and is raised in this home where there's this wealth all over. And she's very a very driven woman. Um, and when Walker turns 21, he inherits uh, what would... Be known today as the equivalent of five hundred million dollars but but walker 's different okay walker um, he has no need to work, he feels no need to work he 's ha- had no guidance in life, and he has no self motivation because in the household of doris um, he was he was a wreck of a child it, it, it's, and that 's you know to be expected like if you lose your father and your mother at an early age like there, there are issues in that developmental process. Uh, but she was not able to handle it. Uh, in fact, it, it, I think things kind of ha- came to a head one day when he took ketchup and poured it on tampons and threw them into the pool. Um, and re- needless to say, like he was a wild child. And, and so she took uh, Walter Inman and put him into uh, a boarding school. To be raised that way. And if you look at these two lives, they are stark differences. Walter Inman, just a gluttonous fool. Doris Duke, like, set on success, loss of greed. Duke, you probably know by now that this name is familiar. This is where Duke University comes from. Um, like, this is a very wealthy family. And now, Walter Inman, you know, he gets married the second time, finally decides he wants to have kids, and In Walk Patterson and Georgia Inman. And Walker Inman is a terrible father. Uh, These children, they are raised just like he was raised, just like Doris Patterson was raised, with with, uh, not very much parental input. A lot of people coming in and out of the home as caregivers and nannies. They are underfed, undereducated, and scarcely known to their father except as objects of his wrath. Uh, One person, one caregiver... Uh, came in to, to spend time with them and when they were in preschool and they were kept in, in the basement of this home. And he said walking in that uh, there was feces all over the walls and the conditions were such that not even, he wouldn't even allow a dog to be kept in these conditions. And this is a wealthy family. And my question is, Georgia and Patterson-Inman, what's going to happen with them? When they turn 21, it's already been settled out in the courts, they're going to inherit a billion dollars as a result of all this. They are set to inherit a billion dollars. And are they going to repeat these cycles of, of, of work and rest and not, not seeing how these interact, and these cycles of greed and gluttony? You know, I, we learn our patterns of work and rest from our parents growing up. A lot of us do. We see how they run their weeks. We live with them for 18 years of our life. We live under their, their, their rhythms. And where, you know, maybe your parent was more tended, you know, more tended towards uh, greed, uh, you might run in the opposite direction of gluttony. You know, that might be your struggle. And what is the hope for us in how we deal with work and rest. And whether or not we're going to succumb to greed or gluttony. I think that our only hope to, to see how God has designed work and rest and apply it correctly, we must look to God's Word. We must we, we can't take at face value the world and the way it operates. We must look to God's Word to direct our patterns of work and rest and the purpose of work and rest. And my goal tonight is that by the end of this time together— that we would see clearly how work and rest are gifts of a glorious God, how they demonstrate and reveal our own, glo- own greed and gluttony, and how they point us to anticipate the glory of heaven. Okay? That's my goal for tonight. So the first thing is that work and rest, they demonstrate the, the generosity of God. His lavish generosity. Work and rest, they are gifts from God to you and, and to me. In fact, everything that God gives, it is good. You know, we have to embrace this at, at the face value. Everything that God gives is good. Kevin DeYoung, he wrote a book, uh, is, Uh, called Crazy Busy. Um, The subtitle is a mercifully short book about um, a really big topic. I'm messing up the last, but it's really short. Um, And in it, he says, God gives us Sabbath as a gift. It's an island of get-to in a sea of have-to. And the Sabbath, you know, so rest, it is given as a gift from God. We we have to accept this at face value. But also work is given as a gift. You know, when Adam is created, God gives him work to do. And he says it was very good on that day. Work, at it, it is a gift from God. It has been corrupted by the fall. We know that. It's toilsome. It's harder than it should be. It causes us to sweat. Um, but we have to accept the first premise that work and rest are both gifts from God. Another famous theologian said this, I like naps. Her name is Dina Bennett. You know. <laughs> So my wife, she's a very smart woman. um, But we we just have to accept this, that that work and rest, they are gifts from God. A good nap done for the glory of God, it it is a gift to enjoy, okay? Um, So, but why, okay? So what is this gift? Uh, Well, the first is that God gives purpose for work and rest. In his gift, he gives purpose to work and rest. Uh, He made work holy and holy means set apart. So work has been given to us, and it's, it's set apart for certain things. So God creates everything from nothing. And when we go and work, we imitate God. God makes everything from nothing, and, and we make infinitely worse things compared, compared to that. But in working, in going out of this world and working, We are becoming like God in his creative nature. We create things when we work. And God is glorified by that. So it's a purpose. There's a purpose to imitate God by just creating things like he created the universe. Um, But also we get to be like God in that we bring and imitate his rule and reign to all of creation. We don't have time to dig into this super much. And actually, um, we're going to talk in a couple weeks about dominion. Um, but God, you can take his rule and his reign in three ways. There, you know, he is, has authority. And so when uh, Adam is made, he's given the responsibility to name animals. You know, if you have a child and you walk home and you find out the birth certificate is, the name is Robin, and you're like, wait, I named her Sarah. You call the doctor and you say, doctor, doctor, what's going on? The birth certificate, it says Robin, and I named her Sarah. Like, and doctor's like, oh, well, you know, I, I just put the name I wanted to on there. You'd be offended. You'd be like, no, that was, I, that I had the authority to name this child. Like, And by naming animals, Adam is expressing the authority of God in imitating his authority to name things. God also has complete control over the universe. You know, he holds it in the palm of his hand. And um, when God made Adam, he told him to tend to the garden. To exercise some form of dominion and control, to, to take the nature around him and to keep it in such a way that would glorify God and be for our good. So, we, when, we, when we work out in the world, we're exercising control over it like God has control over the whole universe. Um, and we exercise presence. You know, God, He is everywhere. His rule and reign, it is everywhere. He is everywhere and he, he holds it all in the palm of his hand. And what God commanded Adam to do was to go and to fill the earth. He's made in the image of God. And God's design, his plan for work was that humankind was spread all over and that the image of God through mankind would be all over all the earth. That we would rule and reign over the earth the way God rules and reigns. Not for our selfish gain or anything like that, but we have to understand that work, it is a gift, and the purpose that God gave it to us is so that we would be like Him. We would exercise character attributes that are like what He is like. He also made rest holy. So on that day in verse 3, it says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy on it he rested from all his work of creation. He, he rested on that, on that day and he declared it holy, set apart for a purpose. Okay? And what is that, what is that purpose? Well, I think there's there's three things to that purpose. Um, we, we celebrate and enjoy this day because of God's creative nature. We're going to go through some of the commandments now. Um, and if you Don't feel like you have to turn your Bibles or whatever. They'll be all up on the screen. But when God gave the fourth commandment, here's what he said. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. The reason for the fourth commandment to the nation of Israel was for the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and everything in them in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So on the Sabbath, we enjoy and celebrate God's creative work, that God made it all. We get to celebrate that. That is the reason why the Israelites were to obey the fourth commandment. Not only do we celebrate God's creative work, but we we celebrate God's sustaining work. Genesis 2.3 says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Vern Poythress wrote a book called Interpreting Eden, and he separates the work of God in Genesis as being his creative works and his sustaining work. On the seventh day, God is actually, he's still working in a sense. You know, if, if I were to take my phone and drop it, it would hit the ground. I'm not going to do that because I, I want to take care of my phone. Um, but, but it would drop and it would hit the ground because, well, why would it hit the ground? The law of gravity. That's great. And that's a very materialistic explanation, but there's a deeper reason. The deeper reason is because God is faithful. Every law of the universe operates the way it does because we have a faithful God who's made the universe this way. He holds it in the palm of his hand. And the reason why we can predict all the things we can predict through science is because Ultimately, God demonstrates his faithfulness through his sustaining work. On the seventh day, all the laws of nature are operating the way they should be, operating the way God made them to be, and he's sustaining it. He's resting from his creative works, but he's still involved. And so we get to celebrate the fact that God is faithful on the Sabbath, that he's faithful to all of his promises. We also get to celebrate and enjoy God's saving work. Uh, So in Deuteronomy 5, the law is being given again. The Ten Commandments are being given again. Um, Verses 12 through 14 i I'll talk about the commandment. I'm going to skip that. Verse 15 gives the reason to obey the commandment. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here when the Ten Commandments are given again, the reason to, to rest for the nation of Israel is well, because God saved you from Egypt. And on the Sabbath, we get to enjoy a greater rest, that God has saved us from sin and death. Folks, this is amazing. that we get, God has given us a day set apart to do this, to, to a special time in our week to do this intentionally. And at creation, God gave not only purpose for work and rest, but He gave a pattern for work and rest. Um, If you go and read, you know, days one through seven, a pattern that emerges is that God, He works in creating something, and then there's evening and there's morning, day, fill in the blank. Then He works evening and morning, day, fill in the blank. And what you see is there's a pattern that God's doing. Um, He works during the day, and then there's a period of time he doesn't work. We would call that probably evening. You know, we all sleep. But does God need to do that? Does God need to, you know, work and then stop working to re-energize himself? No, no. He, He does not need to do that. And so in this process, as you read through days one through seven, you see, well, God's setting up a pattern here. We are made to imitate God. So you know what? Like running the midnight oil, getting four hours of sleep every night, it's not a very godly thing to do uh, if you're doing it for selfish purposes or, you know, no end in sight to, to that. Like, like it's good to get a good night's rest. God has set up a pattern in creation, work and rest every day. But he's also set up a pattern of work and rest for a week, that there'd be six days working and then one day rest, days one through seven. And so God, he sets up a pattern there. And again, does he need to do that? Like, no, he could have just made the whole universe in a split second. Everything, Adam and everything. Like, So the, you know, you have to think back and think, well, why would God do this? Why would God set up these patterns of work and rest? To me, the only logical conclusion is because we were made to imitate God and he's doing this so that we would have a pattern to imitate for our good and for his glory. So here's the question, you know, the question probably on a lot of our minds, okay? Is the Sabbath still to be observed? Is there still a Sabbath? Okay, this is a hot topic in Christianity. People are all over the board. Uh, some go as far as to say, you know what, Jesus, he, f- he fulfilled the Sabbath. There is no more Sabbath. You can do whatever you want to do on the Sabbath. And then some people are way on another side. and They say, you know what, uh, actually, there still is a Sabbath that we must, we are morally bound to obey. And there are ceremonial laws in the Old Testament we should obey. And guess what? The Sabbath should be on Saturday. (laughs) You know, there's a wide, 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 wide range of opinions out there. Um, And I don't want to get into the weeds on any of that. Um, But there's a principle here. And the principle is that a six-in-one pattern of work and rest is something we should follow. That at creation, God doing this pattern, six and one, that we, should, we should attempt to follow this pattern. And some people, the reason that you should follow that pattern is because it's really wise. It's a really wise thing to do. And some people say you should follow this pattern because, well, you're morally bound. But, but whatever the reason is, I think in the Christian life, I know people in both camps, and the way they live out the Sabbath is the same what you do on the Sabbath and, and what you do for work, like it looks the same. And whether you fall in the camp, if it's really wise, so if you're in that camp, your temptation is towards uh, being kind of really lax and doing, you know, really whatever you want to do. And, and that kind of way of thinking, it can tend towards gluttony. I'm just speaking kind of openly, honestly here. And, but, but on the other side, if you're like, this is a moral thing we must do, and you, must imp- and you impose this system, Like you, you can also become gluttonous that way. Say, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to do anything. And you can actually set up rules that promote your own self-interest on the Sabbath for yourself. And so I'm just going to say, what, whichever one you, you've kind of followed, I, I would, oh man, I don't know. I would actually, in, I would tend to lean towards it's a really good, wise thing to do. And you'd be a fool not to attempt to do it, not to attempt to do a six days of work and one day of rest. And I think, you know, a lot of our pastors, you know, here at Walnut Creek would say the same thing. Practically, though, that there's no difference, whichever camp you're in. And really, you know, the temptations can be the same, you know, towards greed and generosity. The human heart can even take good gifts that God has given, like work and rest, and use them for our greed and use them for our gluttony. You know, and so here's the question. Question is, what should you do on the Sabbath? You know, what should you do on the Sabbath? Well, I, I think uh, John Frame he puts four things, four categories of different things that you should really consider doing on the Sabbath. One is worship. The command in Exodus twenty verse eight says, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." Remember. Deuteronomy 5, be careful to remember the Sabbath day. And remembering doesn't just mean I woke up in the morning and I remembered, yep, Sabbath. (laughs) That's not what's meant here. To remember the Sabbath is to memorialize it. You you go and spend time with believers at church. You worship God together. You praise God together. You you hear the scriptures together together. You spend extra time in the word yourself or in prayer yourself. It is is a day to memorialize and spend extra work and energy on soul work. Another category of things you should do on the Sabbath is recreation, you know? Um, The Sabbath, it was made to be a delightful experience. Okay? In Isaiah 58. It says, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the, Lord, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride over the heights of the land, and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He says, the Sabbath, it is meant to be a delight. Jesus said that, that uh, man, that, um, oh, what say? Man was made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made, not the Sabbath was made. No, no. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the principle here is that God gave us this day as a gift. The Sabbath was made for man. This was made for your enjoyment. And so to get together. You know, when God's people come together to remember in the Old Testament, a lot of times they're celebrating, okay? And when they celebrate, they feast. And when they feast, there's dancing. You know, this, this is a, a thing in the Old Testament. When you see Celebrations. There's active jubilation. People are, are dancing, and there's lots of food. And someone had to cook the food. And when you're dancing, maybe you're lifting, you know, a heavy load because your arm weighs a lot or whatever. Um, and so it's perfectly fine to go, like, go play soccer on a day of rest. Uh, but but uh, you know, maybe if your nine to five is heavy labor, um, maybe you just go watch soccer on your day of rest. You know. But but in either way, it's, it is meant for your enjoyment. And so feasting and recreation, like, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to do, to enjoy the day. Uh, another category is works of necessity. So in the Sabbath being made for man, not man for the Sabbath, you know, we have a general, uh, like, level of uh, quality of life. And for the lights to be on, we need electricity. And for electricity, we need factories. And if we close every factory on every Sabbath, to restart it up again the next day would be so expensive. It would be uh, too, it, we, we wouldn't even be able to do it. And there's some professions like law enforcement or firefighters that, well, yeah, we want them to be working on a Sunday. We, we need those, those things. And so there are works that are okay to do on Sabbath out of necessity. If you need to support your family, like, totally fine to work on Sabbath. And I know you're all students, you know, um, but, you know, and you're all trying to make ends meet, you know, your primary job is probably being a student, and in trying to make ends meet and trying to glorify God, yeah, like, maybe that means you need to do some work on the Sabbath. And I would not become overly, like, dogmatic about I need to rest and stay in one spot and fudge out all day. No, no, like, if there, there are things you must do—Jesus' disciples, they picked heads of grain on the Sabbath because they needed to eat, you know? So works of necessity are another thing. The last category, what, you know, what are things you should do on the Sabbath? Works of mercy. Works of mercy. See, the Sabbath, it is made to celebrate this rest. But it's not just for you to celebrate the rest, and it wasn't just for the Israelites to celebrate the rest— God commanded them in those two, you know, Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 20, to give rest to all their servants, to give rest to all the animals, to give rest to all the slaves that were under them. So the Sabbath should be a day that you you give rest to people. We should do works of mercy that ultimately aim to give rest to other people on the Sabbath. That, that is an entirely appropriate thing to do. And I'm not saying these four things are four things you should do every day of rest, uh, but these are just four things that like, well, you know, these are four guiding principles for what should I do on my Sabbath? Well, I should take a break from my normal nine to five or whatever, um, but I should seek to glorify God on Sabbath, take extra time with him, enjoy the day, Uh, If I need to do works that are necessary, do them. Prepare food, whatever. Um, But also seek to give other people rest. In the human mind, it is crafty, and it doesn't really matter what you believe about why we should keep the Sabbath because we can take God's gift, God's gift of work and God's gift of rest and use them to justify sin. So if we're to demonstrate God's generosity, you know, what does work and rest say about us? Well, the second thing is that work and rest, they reveal the greed and gluttony of man. They, they, they expose, they bring to light your greed and your gluttony and other sin as well. I want to give you an illustration here, okay? Imagine you're going to um, uh, a graduation party, okay? And it's the, you got an invite from that, that girl that you always really liked. Uh, or that guy you always really liked, and they said, "Hey, I want you to really come to my grad party." And they say, "Oh, great! Yeah, I'll I'll be there." Um, you know, got to rewind the clock maybe a few years. I got to rewind the clock maybe 20 years on this. Um, but yeah, okay. So you get this invite. You're you're showing up to the party, uh, and they're they're going all out. Like they got like waiters bringing out food on on plates and trays, and you see someone come out, and they're bringing out Chick-fil-A nuggets. You know. And you're going like, yeah, Chick-fil-A Nuggets. I'm going to get me one of those, um, you know. And, you know, they go and serve everyone around the room. And you're like, oh, this is so good, you know, Chick-fil-A Nuggets. But then they're all gone and, and you're still just kind of talking, um, you know, but you kind of keep an eye. You're like, you know, I'm a little hungry still. Like, I wonder if there's more food coming out. Um, you know, you're trying to kind of catch the eye of the person that you're really interested in or whatever, and they invite you. But, but then 15 minutes go by, and, and someone brings out uh, Jethro's wings, you know. And you're like, whoa, this keeps on getting better, Jethro's wings. Um, and and you, you take some more, you know. And then you start thinking, well, yeah, I'm still kind of really hungry. That wasn't a lot of food um, I wonder how much of this they can really do. Like, they're, they're feeding tons of people. I really still want to go talk with them. Um, and then, you know, another 15 minutes goes by and, and the waiters come out now with Cheesecake Factory cheesecakes. You know, and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, uh, but, at, but I don't know how much more this can, can really go. So they come to you and you take like five, you know, and you like go and hide them in the corner, you know. And in the meantime, you're staying over there and you're kind of, kind of guarding your cheesecake because you're like kind of wondering, is there going to be more coming out? I'm, I'm super hungry. Um, but meanwhile, there's another person who's doing the same exact thing, only instead of kind of keeping it all, like every plate that comes out, they're just like, oh, you know, gulping it down. And, and instead, of, instead of coming to see the person who invited you, you're spending all this time and all this energy hoarding and filling yourself up, and you're missing out on the person who invited you to the party. Friends, this is what the world is like. We have a loving Father. He loves you. He's given this world as a gift. He's given work and rest as a gift to to enjoy Him through. But when we don't trust our Father, we are tempted. We are tempted towards greed And we are tempted towards gluttony, to feel ourselves, to find our satisfaction in this world. And work and rest, they test our faith. Kevin DeYoung, he says in the same book, uh, God also offers Sabbath as a test. It's an opportunity to trust God's work more than our own. To rest is to trust God's work. And the Christian life, it holds two things together, two extremes. You know, some people fall in one side and say, you know what? Work is good. Leisure is bad. The Christian life is to suffer. If you're not suffering, you're not a Christian. And then there's the, others, the other ditch, you know, that we, we fall into, where leisure it is good. You should, you should do things you enjoy all the time. Work is bad. To experience frustration in your work, that's bad. The Christian life, we are meant to be free and full of joy. And Christianity, it says we must hold these two things in tension, that work is good, it has been corrupted by the fall, there is toil in it, and rest is good as well. And so we should work hard. Paul, he wrote to the Thessalonian church, and um, I'm not going to read all these verses, but in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he talks about his example as a hard worker. Um, and then he exhorts them in chapter four. He says, But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. Seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. The sad thing is they didn't quite get this entirely, and in 2 Thessalonians, he he warns them again with stronger language. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and who does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day. So that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies." Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. The Bible lifts up hard work. It is commendable. We should work, and we should work hard. It is a good thing. And the Bible also lifts up rest. In Psalm 127— it says unless the Lord builds the house its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. And work and rest they are, they are good gifts from a good father and both work and rest because they're good, they can be tests of our faith. Why you choose to work, why you choose to rest. These are, these are things beneath the surface. And work and rest, they will they can reveal your greed. You know, we, we can be tempted to work when we should rest. So one way we can be tempted into greed is, is we, we end up working when we should be resting. We, we replace soul work with homework. We weren't faithful throughout the week, and now we've come to a, a day we need to spend time with God, that our soul feels it, we need it. But we, we weren't faithful with our homework during the week, and now it's like, man, I, it's Sunday, i got to do all my homework and spend eight hours doing homework. We don't rest to work. That's another way that greed can come through is that we say, you know what, I, I need to work really hard and I'm not going to allow myself any breaks. No breaks during work. I need to make every dime that I can. If I, if I take a break, it's costing me money or costing me, you know, I might not get the 96. I might get a 92 on my test if I take a little break right now. We, we don't rest to work when we never allow ourselves a vacation. Like the nation of Israel had time periods, you know, when it would go and it would celebrate holidays together to God. And it is entirely, it's entirely appropriate to take a period of time of extended rest, spend extra time with God, and, and just get, get away and, and reconnect with the Lord, reprioritize life. It's entirely okay to do that. Another way great greed comes through is when we needlessly burn midnight oil. When you needlessly burn midnight oil. Again, when you're shooting for the 96, when a 92 will do, like when, when the difference is not worth what the squeeze that you're trying to get out of what you're doing, like we can, it could can just be greed that's motivating us. We're not satisfied with maybe what we, what we have and we think, you know, I just need a little bit more. And then I'll be okay. We, when we think work means no rest ever. We become workaholics. And we become enslaved to our work. And so work and rest, trying to balance these things, trying to think through them, we can be tempted in, in to think and do things that, are, that allows our greed license to come through. But not only that, but we can be tempted in our work and rest that gluttony can can, can come through. You know, self-fulfillment, trying to fill ourselves up. So, you know, when we rest, when we should be working, when sitting down to do homework and you're like, man, this is kind of, uh, let me just hop on Netflix, one episode. And that was three episodes later. Or the continuous scroll. You know, I'm, I'm, I need to take a little break from, from this. Let me just hop on Facebook 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later. Oh, that was interesting. You know, it, we, and ultimately those things, like they actually aren't restful. <laughs> like you're, you're getting dopamine hits the entire time and your brain is going, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. But we think that we're, what, we're, what we're doing is resting, but we're not, you know. And so we don't, you know, we rest when we should work. The other thing is we don't work hard enough to need a rest sometimes. (laughs) You know, we take really long breaks, you know. Um, We tell our maybe boss like, hey, I'll be back in five and it's like been 25 or whatever. Um, Or with, you know, when every weekend is a vacation. You know, in America we have the five-day work week um, and then we have the weekend. And we can be tempted to think, you know what? Every weekend I should have two days to myself. You know, every, every week there's, there's, okay, I do school here, whatever, I do work here, and then I get two days to do whatever I want to do, you know? And God's pattern is a six-in-one pattern. And as you kind of progress through life, you find that there's actually more work to do. There's taking care of a home. Uh, there's work to do in, the, in, the, in a church setting. Um, I, know, I know a guy, he, he has a weekly schedule. And and he considers, you know, I need to work my nine to five, and then I have, you know, one evening is Bible study. Another evening, I have a men's group, another evening, I go and feed the homeless, another evening I have a date night with my wife. And then another evening, like I get together with my community group, and we go and reach out to people. And then on Saturday I work on my home, and Sunday's a day to rest. And that's a normal you know, pattern for a lot of people. And as a student, your primary job is, is being a student, you know? And you have a lot of work to do outside of class, you know? And so every weekend, if it's a holiday weekend, you, every day is a two-day weekend, you know? Like, we can just be tempted towards gluttony and justifying rest when we should be working. <coughs> the other way that we justify rest when it's really, like, gluttony is when we choose not to serve. Again, the Sabbath, it was given for rest and to give other people rest. And when we use the concept of taking a Sabbath rest to justify not serving someone when we could, like, what is that really saying? That's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant for you to rest and for you to give rest to others. It's an entirely appropriate thing to do. And so there's so many ways that, that we try to fill ourselves up and we use these concepts of work and rest. We don't follow a pattern that God has given and we justify something in our minds and in our hearts. And so greed and gluttony, they are, they are the worst offenders in this area. And so the question is, you know, what, what is the solution then? You know, what, greed, it is, it is wanting things. Gluttony, it is, it is trying to be satisfied by the world. And we have to realize that true riches and true satisfaction come through Christ. Jesus, he worked to make you rich. And your true riches do not come from your own work. And your true satisfaction does not come from your own work. Second Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. On the cross, Jesus became your greed. And he worked his entire life. He was the hardest worker, you could say. He embraced work like none other. And we all get to enjoy the fruits of our labor, you know, when we go out and work. The work that Jesus did, he gave you the fruits of the labor. You get to enjoy the riches of the inheritance of heaven, of God, because of the work that Jesus did. And those are the true riches. We we can trust God that he's a good and faithful father, that he gives us good things because of this. And Jesus, he's ultimate rest. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, so when, when the work the cross, when the work of Christ is applied into your life and you receive his riches, when Jesus said it is finished, it is, and you can rest. You get to enter into true rest through Christ, and he is the one who satisfies the soul in a way that, you know, gluttony is trying to fill it up with the world in so many different ways and, you know, with our good deeds and all this kind of stuff, you know, Christ's satisfaction, it should fill us. And if you're hearing this today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Do not harden your heart. If you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, I need to apply this in my life, you know. Well, the first thing is don't harden your heart. In Hebrews 4, it says... But for somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, again, he specifies a certain day today. And he specifies this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so I don't know where all y'all are at. Um, Maybe you came with a friend or whatever, but but if you were to die today and you've realized, man, I've been working my entire life to be right with God, working my entire life to to achieve satisfaction, and that the only way you actually get satisfied, the only way you actually get true riches is because Jesus did for on the cross for you. Don't harden your heart today towards that. I encourage you, embrace Christ today. He worked. He emptied himself so that you might become rich. And so if this is the case, if we are all, like, richer than, than billionaires in this room, like, well, why work, you know? If we're satisfied in Christ, you're like, well, then why, why rest, you know? Um, well, I think all, the, all those reasons still apply. They're still good. They're still good principles. But, but what work and rest do is they help us to anticipate the glory of heaven. When we work and when we rest, we get to anticipate. We get a taste of what's to come, the glory of heaven. Uh, work and rest, they point us toward our ultimate rest in heaven in Genesis 1.28, God, you know, told Adam to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And that implies that there was to be an end goal in mind. That the task had a, had a limit. And once that limit was accomplished, the rest that Adam enjoyed with God on the seventh day, it would be like, great, we're done, you know? So the, the Sabbath on the seventh day in Genesis, it was to anticipate this day when, all, when work would be completed, when God's image, his rule and his reign would be fully realized in this earth. And there's coming a day when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and God's rule and reign will be fully realized. And when we work, we anticipate that day coming. When we apply ourselves into our work, the way to imitate God, Every day we get to anticipate one day, one day work will be finished. It was finished in Christ and one day God's coming back and he's going to have rule and reign over the entire heavens and earth. And rest is also a foretaste of heaven. In that passage in Hebrews, it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, this is talking about the Joshua leading them out, you know, into the promised land, which was symbolized of rest, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered it, entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. When we rest on our, on our day of rest, we are anticipating that day when we will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb forever rejoicing in the work that He did for us to give us rest. And so on the Sabbath, we get to feast, we get to enjoy it, we get to bring rest to others. And it's a foretaste of the rest that's to come. Here are a few things I want to encourage you to do. Okay? If you're thinking about this, thinking, man, <laughs> and I'll be really honest with you, when I was a college student, uh, you know, I, I, I think I tried as best I could. And, and as I've gone through life, you know, what I've developed is I've, I've found what's restful for me. I've found rhythms. And this is just an experience you're going to grow into through life. And as life changes, what you do and how this rhythm looks, it, c- it can change. But here are a few things that I hope that you can apply throughout every season of life. First is plan your week. I encourage you, plan your week. If you don't plan your week, like, you will not set up the guardrails necessary to keep work where, you know, inside of work and to keep rest inside of rest. Um, Gordon MacDonald, he wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World okay? And in this book, he says that if you have unmanaged time, unmanaged time will do one of four things, and it probably depends on your personality, okay? Uh, So one thing it could do if you have unmanaged time is it will flow towards your weakness. You'll start spinning your wheels on things you're not good at, you know? Another thing is that unmanaged time, it can come under the influence of other people, people who might be strong-willed. And because you don't have a plan or whatever, like you just say, "Oh, whatever. Unmanaged time, it can surrender to the demands of all emergencies. You know, I need to do this. You're always kind of chasing your tail. And if you don't manage your time, the fourth thing is that it can get invested in things that gain public affirmation. What are you going to do tomorrow? I haven't really decided yet. And in in the unmanaged time world, you'll, your, your flesh will want to do things that gain attention. And so you're just going to do the things that get attention. And it's in, so it's, just, it's important to plan your week. And as a single person, this is maybe difficult, but it's so much easier than when you get married. <laughs> you know, when you get married, now you have two schedules and you're trying to line things up with two people. And if you have kids, then you have their schedules, their ball games or whatever else. So, so I would encourage you, develop this habit as a single young person to plan your week well. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is work hard. Work hard. Get off the social media, you know, the infinite scroll, as I would like to call it, because it's not actually restful. Like it's detracting from work. It's actually, it is work. You're getting dopamine hits every single time, you know. Your brain, it is, it is not resting when you're doing that. So, I, you know, social media has great purposes, but I would just make sure you know, like, getting on social media, it's, it's, it's probably work for a lot of people. Netflix binging. <laughs> like, guys, let's, let's get this under control. Like, there's so many better things out there in the world. So many better things to do with your time than than watch a computer screen by yourself for two and a half hours. Plan to study one hour for every hour that you're in class. If you're a student, this is your job, you're a student, okay? And part of working hard as a student is not just going to class, but making sure that you have time to do all the homework, to do all the studying. And as you, if you have never budgeted time for studying for your classes and always been like, well, whatever, you know, I'll just do whenever, um, start with an hour for every hour you're in class. And you'll find as you go whether you need more time or less time. Okay? But I would say start start with an hour. And then I'd encourage you, have a personal job. When you find you have a free evening, you're all done with your homework. You're all done with all the stuff you were going to do. Have a personal job. What's, what is that to you? Maybe, maybe that involves, you know what? I have five people that I'm trying to really reach out to, and not, they're non-Christians, and I have a free evening. Hey, I'm just going to run through. I'm going to have a mall call, see what's going on. Maybe, you know, I'm really trying to study this area of the Bible, this book of the Bible. It has lots of applicability in my life right now. I have a free evening. Here's a book. I'm going to go read it. I'd encourage you, work hard. The third thing, give rest to others. I'd encourage you, give rest to others. When you think about work and rest, you know, think about, I want to use my rest. For God-glorifying reasons. You know, I want to be, I want to connect with God more on that day. I want to give rest to others on that day as well. And maybe that means volunteering at church, you know, holding babies so that families can come in here and, and experience rest and extra time with God. Maybe that means reaching out to the lost on that day. Uh, maybe it means feasting with God's people in some way after, you know, on, on a Sunday afternoon, you're like, me and my whole Bible say, we're all going to go get lunch on this day. And we're just going to enjoy each other. Uh, maybe it's going to play soccer or whatever. But I also encourage you, connect with your family. When I was in your shoes, I can count on two hands probably the number of times I called my, fr- my parents my freshman year. <laughs> Call your parents. Reconnect with your family. Give rest in your family. I think these are entirely great things to do on your day of rest. Um, But plan your week, work hard, and give rest to others. Let me pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much um, that you are so good to us. You're a good father. You long to give us good things. You've given us a a world that is full. God, we don't have to be afraid of... of, um, you yeah, have the future, God, that you have uh, for us rest. You've accomplished that through your work. Um, and I just pray that you, you would help us, God. Help us to um, learn better how to not let sin encroach on, um, on our work and how to let, and not to let sin encroach on uh, our rest. That we'd use these things to glorify you. In your name we pray, amen. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.